So uh, one of the things that happens for us, I don't know if this happens for you, uh, but generally when we're traveling, uh, for whatever reason, on a long, long distances, our boys uh, will kind of get in this mode where they know they're traveling, and so occasionally you'll hear, are we there yet? Uh, but, but that's not the normal thing. Generally, uh, they're kind of doing whatever they're doing. And we play music. A lot of times, Anna and I will fade the music to the back, and of course, they'll say, turn it up, or switch that song, or whatever. But uh, it gives us time to talk. And we were talking the other day, and um, just, and not really, I don't think she said this specifically, but just the conversation made me think, I need to start discipling my oldest son in a more intentional way. At one level, you're saying, our life is one of discipleship. We want them to follow uh, our example uh, most of the time, maybe. And uh, we also want them to... Um, uh, learn from us. We do family worship every, every, most every night, and we try to do that together. Uh, we try to discuss the lots of different things about a biblical worldview and all of that. Um, but, but then one of the things that just kind of hit me was all of my life in ministry uh, has been uh, built around a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It just has, or one-on-two or three. And I've had these meetings, invested time with people, and what uh, I realized just after talking to Anna was she's kind of nudging me to say like, are you going to do that with him? Are, are you going to do that kind of stuff with him? Are you going to visit with him in that way? And so uh, we began to talk about it. I said, William, would you like me to disciple you? You know, because he's been reading some in his uh, Bible and he's been interested. And you think, I need to help him understand that. I can help speed up the process or stuff you read in the Bible you don't fully understand. And he said, uh, of course. And I said, well, then we'll have to schedule time. And we started our discipleship process uh, of working through uh, the things that I've been doing over the years. Um, and when we started out, I said to him, which is kind of following the trellis and the vine, I believe is the book that talks about it. Uh, we're going to address convictions, character, and competencies. And I know those are maybe bigger words, but it's, uh, we kind of work through what is that? What are those things? And so we are going to, to do that together. Um, when I generally meet with somebody, we will st uh, start in Genesis. Unless they have a specific question or whatever, that's just where I'm going to begin. I'm going to begin in Genesis, and I'm going to look at those first three chapters. And one of the reasons that I'm going to do that is because uh, I remember hearing Francis Schaeffer in a video say, uh, if I had an hour to share the Gospel, the first 50 minutes... I would spend in Genesis, and then the last ten, I could make sense of the rest of the Bible. And so that's where we're starting. And I just thought this morning, as we're kind of in between a specific thing uh, that we're studying, I might start back with the basics and talk to you about how I would go about doing that and how I will go about doing that or am doing that uh, with William and will do that with uh, others throughout my life and continue to do it. And hopefully, it'll be something to inspire you to invest in other people and, and to think about life from a biblical worldview. Uh, that's kind of the ground level, the basis, the, the pattern set up for us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to basically answer five questions. Some of you, when you get to Genesis 1, you're thinking about creation and you're saying, 
Oh, well, are you going to answer all the questions about, that I have about the age of the earth and this and that and all that? And I'm like, no, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to try to help you see what this chapter is, is revealing to us about who God is, how this world came into being, who we are, what we are to do, those kinds of things, those base level kind of things that I think the passage is primarily focused on. And so that's kind of how we'll deal with it. Five questions. Who created the world? How did He create it? What does He say about it? How does He demonstrate His Lordship over it? And who are we? And what is our role on this earth? That, that's, those are the basic things. I'm going to cover those, so if you take notes, I'll, I'll cover them as we move through. So let's start with these five truths, kind of think those through, and then we'll have some concluding applications. So, who created the world? Genesis 1.1 in the beginning, God. Before anything was, God was. God is eternal. God is infinite. God is unchangeable. God is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, before there was anything, there was God. And at a specific time, God created the universe. Now, as you think about that, just to kind of understand it, and when you think about, well, who is this God? Is that the God uh, that everybody talks about in the world that has a, a, a worldview that there's one God? It is the God as revealed in Scripture. And one of the things you see early in Genesis, and of course, as you unpack the Bible, you'll see, is this God is a triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Verse 26, he says, Let us, plural, make man in our image. In verse 2, And the Spirit hovered over the waters. Every time you see God said, it's, it's this idea of God's Word working out this, this, this creative thing. And so you're going to this creation, you could say. And I think it's a glimpse into what John picks up in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, is, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So who are we talking about? The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit created this world. That's foundational. He made it. We did not. He is the cause. We are not. This world did not come into existence by itself. There had to be a cause and there had to be someone Filling and forming this earth. Second, how did He create it? I've already alluded to that. By His Word. And as I mentioned, there may be a glimpse into the second person of the Trinity, but at the heart of what's going on here, I think what we're seeing is, is that God said, verse 3, God said, I would mark that, verse 6, and by the way, I, I generally try, I mean, of course you have children, it's hard sometimes with all the things going on, but I usually kind of mark things that are important in a passage. Verse 3, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, 
God said, I'm marking that because I'm saying there's something repeated, and when something is repeated, it means something here, right? Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 24, God said. Verse 26, God said. Verse 28, God said. Verse 29, God said. God spoke the world into existence. Have you ever said something in your house expecting a response and there was nothing? You thought, are they dead to hearing my words? Like, can they not hear what I'm saying? You might have even raised your voice and said, are you alive? Can you still hear? And they're just sitting there. And you're thinking, I'm going to have to change my voice. I'm going to the Darth Vader voice and see if they will listen. When God speaks, things happen. But it's not just that He speaks and things happen one time. It, His Word sustains. You see that today, I think Ryan and something kind of put that out, but it's just, it sustains, it creates and sustains the world. He says, let there be light, and it's still there. It's a powerful picture. He created the world, and His creative power through His words sustains what we are experiencing today. So who created the world? God created the world. How did He create the world? By His Word. And what does He say about the world that He created? He says, it is good. Now, verse 4. Again, I would mark this in a distinct way in my Bible. Because I'm trying to remind... I am not just... When I study the Bible, I'm not just thinking... Well, I'm going to study this so that I can learn something and I'll be able to keep this for myself. I'm thinking in terms of how can I give this away? When I'm discipling my son, I'm thinking in terms of how can he give this away? How can he make sense of this? How can he give people a visual understanding? How can he sit down one day with his child if God grants that and bring clarity? Verse 4, God saw that it was good. Verse 10, God saw that it was good. Verse 12, God saw that it was good. Verse 18, God saw that it was good. Verse 21, God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. And then it concludes his last statement in that regard. Verse 31 God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Who created the world? God did. How did He create it? By His Word. Once He did create it, what did He say about it? It is good. It is good. What does that mean? What does that mean when He says that? 
if you think about it for a moment, a painter, oftentimes when you uh, maybe go somewhere, maybe you've been to an art studio or if you've been uh, to some museum or whatever, and you see something on display, if you were to sit down with the painter and say, was it good? Did you think it was that good? They probably would have been like, you know what? I ran out of time. And I just, it still felt green. It didn't feel, felt, it didn't feel like fully formed. There are still things about that painting that I would change. But now it's, it is what it is. People want prints of it. If you were to sit down with a builder and you say, if you had a chance to create this building again, what would you change? They would have things. A, a writer, this is a helpful one, that writes a book and has it published and even it might sell 100,000 copies will come out with a second edition and guess what there will be? Changes, updates. I was listening to a, a, a writer this week, a, a, a theological kind of book, and he is going back after listening to people talk about it and rewriting things that he didn't think were clear. And then also, over time, he begins to understand how to communicate something better, and so he's adding those things in. I sometimes think about what it would be like to build a custom home and to be able to put things in it like I wanted, Anna would want like little hidden doors could go in and like nobody would know how to, how did she go from that room to that room? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe she wouldn't even tell anybody. The only person would know would be the builder, but she, you know, but all those things that you might want, and, and I, I, I know this, this is just how it would be. As soon as it was done, I'd want to tear it down and rebuild it the way I wanted it. Right? But when God created the world and He says it is good, it is complete. It is lacking nothing. It is right. He didn't sit there and think, boy, I wish I would have done that a little bit differently. He is infinitely wise. He knows all things. And He is there and you're thinking, how does that work to create something good to be able to state over it it is good and that's what he did so who created the world the triune god how did he create it by his word what does he say about it it is good fourth how does he demonstrate his lordship over it how does he demonstrate his lordship over what he's created in chapter one by naming and commanding. That would be kind of the way I would show, show that. I put it on display. Verse 5, again, probably mark this in a distinct way. God called. Verse 8, God called. Verse 10, God called. He is naming it. He is designating it as His own. And He is naming it. And then in verse 22 and 28, be fruitful and multiply. He is telling it what to do. 
I just think that's important. He rules His creation. This is His world. Some people might say something like, He created it, but I don't know if He cares about what goes on with it. No, as Creator, He owns it. And it answers to Him. If we were to sit down and talk about that, I would say, do you understand that God is both Creator and Lord? And what does that mean? I've said that to hundreds of people. What does that mean? It means that you answer to Him. It means that you're not your own. It means that you are not the initial cause of your life. It means you're not in charge. It means you're under His rule and reign, whether you acknowledge it or not. He created you. He sustains you. One word could change that. It's crazy. Sometimes people that really hate authority, and you'll see that in so many aspects of their life where they reject and reject and reject authority, they do not understand that simple truth. You reject every authority placed over you. Really, biblically, if this authority has been given by God, you keep rejecting that. You're not just rejecting the authority. You are rejecting the Lord. Who has instituted and is overseeing this world? Five. Who are we and what is our role on this earth? Now, this is at the heart of like, I'm moving through and I've been helping my son understand how this works. We are image bearers and our role on this earth is to image him. Humanity is unique. Look at Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we start and we say, Who created us? Or who created the world? The triune God did. What does He say about it? It is good. How does He demonstrate His Lordship over it? By naming and commanding it. And then who are we? And what is our role on this earth? We are image bearers and called to image Him. That's what we are to do. Living under His Lordship. That's what we are to do. Now, let's think about that for a moment. If you are human, you are an image bearer. This gives you dignity and responsibility. That's just what it does. It gives you a sense of dignity, of value. And it also gives you responsibility. That's what comes with it. 
some people say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Do you care what God thinks? Do, do you care what God thinks about you? I get so tired of hearing, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Listen, if you are misrepresenting God, if you are bringing some kind of negative effect on people's mind when they think about you, something's wrong with you not caring about that. You should care about it. Because you want to demonstrate to others what it's like to be under the control of God and living for Him. I want people to look over my life and say, He does follow the Lord, however imperfectly. Uh, he, he seeks to honor His parents, however imperfectly. He is a good friend. He is doing what He's been called to do. To be a blessing. We have been made in His likeness, been given a place of honor and dignity. Again, it comes with responsibility and privilege. We were given dominion because of the unique characteristics that we have been given as humans because of those things. That comes with dominion has a sense of stewardship. If you are to reign over the earth, there's a stewardship there. Every word, every thought, every action you are thinking further ahead and you're reflecting on if I do this, what will happen? And how can I do this well? And how can I bless this person and ensure this? And whatever. You're thinking through those things. You're an image bearer. You, you have a stewardship over the things that God has made. Later, you'll see this on display in chapter 2. Adam and Eve are told to name things. What does that show? They have the place of authority in God's creation. What is unique about humanity when you think in terms of, of all these things? We're able to reason, speak, create things, organize things. There's a long list of things that you would say, that is distinct. Over all of the created world, humanity is distinct. We are unique. As a result, you have a unique ability to do harm, to do evil. And as you'll see that in Genesis, as they gathered together for their own glory, for their own name, the things that they would do were shocking. But under God's rule and reign, the, the ability to do good, to commune with God, to seek for the benefit of others, to build up culture and develop it, it's just shocking. One theologian describes it this way, because I've always struggled with, and I've read multiple things about it uh, that, that are really helpful, but I, I really felt like this was probably the, 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 the best thing for me. Uh, you need to think about bearing the image in the sense of like a noun. And you need to think, okay, I am an image bearer because I am human. E every human that I see on this earth they have, they bear the image 
They are created in the image of God. There's an equality there. There's a dignity there. We should honor those image bearers. We should do good to them. They bear the image. Right now in our culture, if you've been paying attention to the news, you're thinking like, where is the dignity and honor that should be shown because you're a human? What is going on here? What are we thinking about? Why are we not thinking clear about that reality? From a child, you've been singing the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Your whole life has been thinking about that. Considering that. It's a very simple thing. We are created in the image of God. If you are human, then there should be respect and honor and dignity shown. That's why it was such a big deal uh, post the flood when uh, uh, God speaks, I think it's, or I'm, I'm trying to think, it's, it's right in there with Noah where he speaks of things and he says, look, do not take a man's life. Do not murder was the picture there. Because he bears the image. That's just a, a shocking reality. As image bearers, so in that noun sense, you're saying, I mean, I'll just go on further and just say, look, with regard to something like abortion, where you're saying, this, a child has been conceived, it bears the image, you can't take its life. You are to honor that life. You are to protect that life. You are to serve that life. Because it bears the image. So in the noun kind of sense, you have to say that. From a verbal sense, you are image bearers. You are imaging God. So you are to seek ways to ensure that you are acting like Him. That you are bearing the image well. That your thoughts, that your actions, that the things that you're doing with your life where you might say, well, I'm tired. I don't want to think anymore. I don't want to create anymore. I don't want to love anymore. I don't want to serve anymore. I don't want to commune with God right now. Whatever it might be. Is that bearing the image? Is that embracing that well? Is that living in light of what you've been made to do? So you are an image bearer and therefore you should function in that way. So how do you live in light of these truths? One, first thing. You are to recognize God as Creator of the world and your Creator. And so that alone should cause you to worship. That alone. He created the world. He created you. You did not create yourself. You didn't make yourself the way that you are. God did. You didn't come up with your design. God did. Well, I don't feel like I'm very da-da-da-da-da. It's just God created Everything. Number two, He is Lord over it. 
So you should submit to His reign. If God has said anything else beyond Genesis 1, that matters. Right? It matters to you. It it matters to think about what has He said. Three, His creation is good. Whenever you get to that place where you're looking at life and you're thinking like, I, I mean... This doesn't matter. The earth doesn't matter. What's going on here? That doesn't matter. It, this doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You're, you're like, hold on just a second. You don't see the beauty and glory of what He has made? That He says it was good? You can't see any good? You sour person? <laughs> what are you talking about? It's glorious. The, the, the levels at which you could... could Dig down into the earth and, and understand it further or up in, into the sky, into the heavens. It, we don't even understand that much about it. But the further we get into it, the more you think the structure, the beauty, the splendor of it. And to get to have the ability to make sense of that. To think about it. To ponder it. To reflect on it. To, to use it for good things. That matters. That matters. Fourth, as image bearers, we want to treat one another with dignity. Period. If you are a human and you have other humans out there, when you see them, you should think, they should be treated with dignity, with respect, with honor. They're made in the likeness of God. To mistreat people created in the image of God is wrong and we as humans have a problem with that. It's not just a problem that we see in our country right now. It is a problem that has been passed down for generations that we have seen people over and over and over not seeing each other rightly as those made in the likeness of God. That is a shocking thing. That is a biblical issue. That is foundational. That's Genesis 1 stuff. Fifth, We are also to image Him. And I've already went over it, but I just want to say that one more time to you. We are to be like Him. Now here's the deal. You're saying, Jared, you're living in Genesis 1. You haven't been to Genesis 3. Why are you not talking about the fall? Because I don't have time to talk about everything this morning. But I will say to you, yes, of course, in the fall when man rebelled, the image was marred. It was. There's this crushing blow to humanity, but you are born by nature, the Scripture says, a child of wrath. And what we have to come to this realization and see is that unless we are given a new nature, then what we are going to see over and over and over again is us not imaging God well. And even when you are given a new nature, as long as you're on this earth, you're still going to be struggling with that. But as you people here saying, claiming I follow Christ, 
The one who has brought about this restoration. The one who sent the Spirit to bring new life to me. We should be striving in the strength that God provides to image Him. In our thoughts, words, deeds, in our lives, we're saying we want to be most like God. We want to pursue that. We want to be um, fashioned in the image of Christ. We know God says He's doing that with us. So in light of that, we should say we want to be the person God has called us to be, is directing us to be, and we want to do it for His glory and the good of others. We are wanting to find ways to better live out what we have been made. We find ourselves in a broken creation filled with broken people and we want to do what? Shine as lights in that world. Now, how, why do we have hope? Or how could we have hope in that? Uh, how could we say like, oh, we can move towards a good way and a positive way? Colossians 1.15-20 says this, He is, speaking of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So we go forward knowing this marvelous plan God had, the dignity of humanity, and we seek in the power that is provided through the living, the One who lived, died, and rose again for us. He is now resurrected, and we can trust that what He accomplished for us will hold us steady to the end. We seek to be lights in the world. We cry out for the Lord to come, and while we live here, we say, Lord, shine brightly through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that we would understand the very heart of Your created order, what You designed, what You are doing, and how we are to live in light of that. We know we fail, Lord. We know there are grievous failures, things that outrage us in this world, shocking things that remind us that Your pattern, Your design, Your good creation was totally messed up in the fall. We also thank You for Jesus who came to restore the broken situation, restore broken humanity, restore a broken earth. We pray we would proclaim that message to the world faithfully. We pray we would live that message out as we bless people faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.